0: Today I wanted to talk a little bit about being a living sacrifice. We'll be looking at two different scriptures. We'll be looking at Psalms 1 and Romans 12. And I got to tell you a little story about when I first felt that we that I needed to talk about being a living sacrifice. I was doing a lot of praying and every morning when I would pray about this, I'd be looking in Romans And the Holy Spirit kept saying, Psalms, go to Psalms. And truthfully, I was quite confused by all of that. And I thought, well, maybe I'm trying to do the the wrong message. But uh, maybe I had some reassurance this morning as Gerald and I was talking up here. We were talking about uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament and uh, how he was saying that we tend to forget that the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. And as he said, is with any building, if you don't have a good foundation, the building's not worth much. So it's uh, I think a lot of times we just take too much time to concentrate on the New Testament, and we seem to ignore the Old Testament. So today, we're starting with Psalms 1. In the two things really flow out of this psalm. The first is the importance and absolute necessity of the Scripture. The second thing, excuse me, <coughs> is the changed character Stability and fruitfulness it promises to those who make scripture the core of their lives. Although it is general and basic in its matter, it is about two subjects that occur throughout the book of Psalms. It's the use of contrast. It presents two ways of life, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There is the way of the godly and their blessedness in contrast to the way of the ungodly. There is the contrast of negativity, what the godly don't do, versus the positively, what the godly do. Then there is the contrast between the two ways of life. The godly are stable and fruitful, The ungodly are unstable and sure to face judgment. God is saying there is two ways of life available to us. One leads to blessedness, happiness, and fruitfulness, the other leads to cursedness, unhappiness, and judgment. The instructions in this psalm are simple we choose good or we choose evil the blessing of God, or the curse. We can take the right way, which leads to happiness, or the other way, which leads to misery and ruin. This division is ancient. It goes back to the beginning, but it still goes on today, right now. The children of God versus the children of the wicked one. It is a struggle between sin and grace. The seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. It affects us all. It affects everyone. For this is our everlasting state will be determined. And this division will last as long as heaven and hell itself. Blessedness is a choice. But to be blessed, you have to have faith and pursue the way of blessedness as described in the psalm. The choice is ours. If you haven't done so already, I ask that you open your Bible to Psalms 1. It states, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinner. Not sitteth in the seat of scornful, but delight in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper, the ungodly are not so but they are like shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. For the Lord knoweth the way of righteousness, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I want you to note that the very first word in this psalm is the word blessed. In Hebrew... The word blessed actually has what's called an intensive plural, I can't say that too well, to emphasize blessings and happiness. You see, we could actually read the word blessed to mean, oh, how very, 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 very happy we are. That's actually, when you read through the Bible and see blessed, It's an intensive plural in Hebrew. They're trying to say very, very, very happy. This first verse gives us a description of the godly man's spirit and the way we are to try ourselves. The Lord already knows those by name. We have to know people by their character. This reminds me of the saying that talk is cheap or the saying show me and I think of most when I say that as we talked the other night about show me, prove to me or the saying actions speak louder than words. A good person is known known by the rules they chose choose to live by. A good person is to avoid the companionship of evildoers and will not be led by them. As we look around the world today, we see evil all around us. These evildoers are described by three characters, ungodly, sinners, and scornful. First thing they do is they cast off their fear of God and live in neglect of their duty to him. Then they break out into open rebellion against God and engage in the service of sin. As their hearts harden, they openly defy all that is sacred. They make fun of religion and jest of sin. Then they only grow worse. It isn't bad enough that they have turned against God, but now they tempt others to follow their way. We note in the second verse that it says we are to meditate day and night. This is meditating on God's word. We are to read his word, and then we're to think about it. We are to discuss it with ourselves. Think it over. Think about what it is saying to you. Sometimes, you know, people laugh and say, oh, were you talking to yourself? Well, this would be an excellent time to talk to yourself. Think about what you have just read and say, am I really following this? What does God want me to do with this? We are to say constant in the word, day and night it is to be part of our everyday life. The more we walk with the Lord, the better furnished we are to do his good work. In verse 3, we see that we will be like a tree planted by the water, planted by the grace of God. Never any good tree grew of itself. It is the planting of the Lord, grafted anew with the power from above, that grows a worthy tree, one that bears good fruit. The water, which is the grace of God, supplies us with the strength and the vigor that we need to bring forth good fruit. We must teach ourselves to watch out against sin and to stay in the word of God and seek God for his grace to both fortify us against evil work and to furnish us for every good word and work. As we look at verses four through six. First, the description of the ungodly. They are the reverse of the righteous, both in character and in condition. They are led by the wicked. They are the way of sinners to the seed of the scornful. They have no delight in the word of God and they don't even think about it and they don't bring forth any fruit. The second thing we see is the righteous. They are valuable, useful fruit trees. The wicked are like shaft which the wind drives away. They are not of any use. They are of no account in God's view. They are vain. They have no substance in them. And they are easily driven to and fro by every wind and temptation and are not steadfast. Remember that for a while, the shaft will be amongst the wheat, but he is coming whose fan will separate the shaft from the wheat. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment, it says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is saying they, the ungodly, and the sinners are not worthy to stand with the righteous. They will have no defense at judgment. This judgment pertains to only unbelievers because they do not have Christ's righteousness. They will be excluded from the eternal presence and blessings of God. Those blessings will be enjoyed by all those who stand in relation to God by faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it states that the Lord knoweth. Using knoweth does not simply mean to have knowledge of. It is often used in scripture in the protective sense and refers to God's love and care. This includes eternal security of believers. It means that God looks out for the righteous, for his people. The NIV translation even states this as the Lord watches over. The wicked are earth dwellers, those determined to getting all the gusto that they can out of this life without any concern for God or for eternity. They live primarily for this life. Their way is the way of man, the way of the flesh, and they cannot stand before the righteousness of God. They fall short. Their way of life gains them nothing with God. I'm sorry to say it, but it only leads to the lake of fire. Remember, Scripture tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy them. Scriptures like these in the New Testament would be meaningless if it were, unless it were true that Christians, too, can live like mere men. Like the wicked, to some degree, that can lead to the loss of rewards. If you are laying up treasures here instead of in heaven. The way of the wicked perishes because it is left to itself. Because they have left God out. One of the greatest fears that I have today, and I hope that uh, all of you do also. Is that so many Christians or people who profess to be Christians. Spend time in church, but they do nothing to build themselves up in the scripture. Now I ask that you turn to Romans 12. This is where I actually started my lesson before I was referred back. We'll be looking at Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. It reads, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what." is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See, Jesus Christ is to be Lord of every area of our lives. We are to be living sacrifices to God. We are to live our new life that we have in the Holy Spirit, not merely by going to church, but by having involvement in our hearts, in our minds, and in our will. We are to be obedient servants. We look at this world and all of its evil and corruption, and we have to be transformed from it. What is spiritual transformation? It is the need to change from sinner to saint, from filthy to holy, from worldly to godly. Today, so many Christians are lukewarm. Let's talk for a moment about being lukewarm. There was a study recently where they interviewed and talked to Christians about their viewpoint. 84% of the Christians that attend church claim that they believe in God, and they also believe that God helps those that help themselves. That's 84%. 77% believe that all people are basically good and that good people all go to heaven regardless of their relationship with Christ. 77% of Christians. Another 50% believe that self-fulfillment should be our first priority. Also, 50% said they can't believe anything is the absolute truth. It is very plain that our modern society has removed the priority of teaching the Scripture. In its place has come shorter and shorter topical sermons aimed more at self-fulfilling than of Bible knowledge. So many of our churches have turned to entertainment in the form of drama and music with more and more emphasis on music that gives an emotional high rather than music that faces focuses on one's heart in the work of God. Essentially these services are man centered rather than Bible-centered and God-centered. Today, too many people go to church looking for a show or a concert instead of going to worship the Lord. You see, we can't be lukewarm. Straddling the fence doesn't work. One thing that I found interesting was a while back probably a year or so ago, I was talking to one of our granddaughters. And, you know, I'm sure that when I was young, a few years ago, that we probably went home and, and used new words that our parents didn't know. And, and today, that's, that's true. As I was talking with her, our granddaughter. She used the word cringy. I see the kids smiling already. They know cringy. I had no idea what she was talking about. I did not know what cringy was, and I had to have her explain it to me. They can explain it to you. But uh, let me introduce you kids to a really old, old word, one that I've heard all of my life, and probably is at least 100 years old, if not even older. It's the word mugwomp. Have you ever heard of mugwomp? I see a few heads shaking. Well, what is a mugwomp? They would say their mug was on one side and their womp was on the other. Well, it doesn't work that way with God. You're either for him or you're against him. There isn't any lukewarm. I ask you today, are you a living sacrifice for the Lord, or are you a mugwomp? The choice is yours. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just give you all the glory, honor, and praise for all that you've done, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that let these words really resonate within our hearts, and let us really rededicate our lives to you. Let us be a true living sacrifice to you. We just give you all the glory, honor, and praise for all you've done and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.